Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Follow Your Beauty, a video podcast where every segment is a journey for a younger-looking you. Hi, I'm Dr. John Mendelson, Medical Director of the Advanced Cosmetic Surgery and Laser Center, and we have another eye-opening show for you today. We have with us in the house a few guests, Robin and Janine. Uh, also, uh, we've, we've met with some of your cohorts, co-workers, friends um, in the past, Sherry and Angie. Um, so throughout the segment, we're going to talk about upper blepharoplasty, and that is upper eyelid rejuvenation. Um, stay tuned also. We're going to hear from Julie, who's going to tell us the latest with what's in and out in the world of plastic surgery. And a little bit later, we're going to hear from Karen Whitney, who you guys both know, who's one of the nation's leading providers of non-surgical services, injections, and so forth. So I'm going to get right to it here. And if you want to turn around, Janine... Um, this, these were your photos prior to your upper blepharoplasty back in October 2016. And I'm just wondering, what, were, what was on your mind? What were you thinking? What were you seeing? That I look like my mom. <laughs> she told, my mom definitely needed her eyes done. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting so close to needing, needing it. Um, but... Back then, I admit, I would love putting makeup on, and then I could never see it on my eyes when I was done. And I felt like when I saw those pictures, I looked tired. Okay. Well, those are very common reasons. I think looking <laughs> like mom is a pretty common one, and also looking tired. I think a lot of people want to look more refreshed, and uh, we, we hear a lot of that. So one of the things that I'd like to do is take advantage. I've gone through this before. I, actually, I've gone through this with uh, Sherry and Angie. But I would like to, just uh, for our listeners and our viewers, talk a little bit about the anatomy of the face and what we do when you come in. We do what's called a facial analysis. And while this isn't so formal, I want you to understand that we look at from the area from the hairline to the, the brow, the brow to the base of the nose, and the base of the nose to the chin. So all of these should be about one-third of our face. And so what upper blepharoplasty is addressing is the area in the, uh, in the upper part of the face, not the eyebrow, but the eyelid tissue over here. And so, um, and so this is what, uh, what you had done, and this is where the problem areas were. Um, what I'd like to do here is, Robin, let's take a peek here and see what you were thinking or feeling at the time. Old. <laughs> I just felt like I needed, I was about to turn 60 there, and I felt like it for the first time. I really started seeing, seeing the aging process happening. And like Janine, I started seeing my mother a lot. Um, I just felt crepey around the eye area. I could pull the skin out, and it didn't snap back anymore. Um, so I just really needed a, a refresh. I'm learning that uh, maybe a lot of ladies pull the skin in their upper eyelid uh, Angie, yeah. sa Angie said the same thing. So, uh, yeah. So, okay. So, obviously, those are uh, very common concerns you have all voiced. What I'd like to do, and maybe you guys haven't seen this from this perspective, but I'd like to play a little video, and you're welcome to turn around if you like, of the upper blepharoplasty, just to review exactly what this procedure involves. So, for our listeners and viewers, uh, this is a procedure performed under local anesthesia. Patients come in, they receive a cocktail, a little bit of Valium, maybe some other medications to relax you. You can see this patient is talking pretty much nonstop, so uh, the, the, it's pretty relaxed. 
Um, where that natural crease is, is typically about 8 to 10 millimeters from our eyelash margin. So if they're not even, we'll even them up. And in my left hand, I have a little instrument called a forcep. And basically, we're just measuring the amount of redundant or excess skin, the tissue we plan to excise. You can see over here on the right eyelid that my forcep is not all the way up to the eyebrow area. That's what we call infrabrow skin. Okay, so there's some tissue up here. We don't want to remove that. If we did, we would inadvertently leave you with the inability to close your eye, which wouldn't be good, and we'd be actually drawing your brow towards your eyelid, so we wouldn't be rejuvenating anything. So upper blepharoplasty deals with the eyelid itself. So once we have this marked, we go ahead and we localize the area. What that means is we inject it with uh, some lidocaine, uh, just like injecting a little mole or a little uh, skin cancer. You'll see that the tissue looks blanched. It looks white-ish because there's less blood flowing to the area. We wait about seven minutes after our injection. That's how long it takes for the epinephrine to work to constrict the, the blood flow. We do this so that we're minimizing bleeding and therefore post-operative bruising. This is a little bit graphic, actually. Um, so for our viewers, and Robin doesn't, Robin is turning away. Uh, Janine, are you okay, or would you prefer yeah, not good. to look at it? I'm not forcing you I might you not look at it. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'll go through it anyway. So all we're doing, if you can imagine, is excising or removing the, uh, the excess skin. Um, and so we will follow the previously uh, previous markings, and, uh, and that's why when I talk to patients, I talk about how critical that marking is, making sure we're getting that right. That's really the key to the procedure. After that, it's just more technical in terms of uh, a minor surgical procedure. The next layer that our viewers will are seeing is a pinkish layer, and that's the muscle layer, and we trim a little part of that so that we can get down to uh, the next layer, which is called the orbital septum. And for our viewers or listeners, this is a white fibrous layer. And in the medial aspect towards the nose, you'll see a little bit of a, some yellowish, uh, yellowish hue coming through there. What do you think that is, Robin, even if you're not looking? Um, I, I don't know. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to look. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. So it's a little bit of fatty tissue, and, um, and that's what we're contouring if, if we need to. Um, and there are several different pockets. Uh, one is yellow, one is white, actually. But once we uh, meticulously remove that, then we'll close the incision using what we call a subcuticular suture. And what that is, it's a stitch that goes back and forth underneath the skin that you guys both remember. Mm -hmm. About six days following the procedure, we'll just go ahead and cut one little knot, slide the stitch out, and, and uh, that is your suture removal. Okay, Robin, you don't have to turn around here. We're almost, uh, almost through there. But, um, but anyway, so that's a little bit about blepharoplasty and um, if you guys could tell me, though, uh, and, I'll, and I'll move this so you don't have to deal with that. Um, what was your experience like in the, operative, in the operating room? So clearly, you don't like looking at it here. How did you feel during the procedure? You know, the worst part for me really was when you were measuring, with, um, measuring it out. Um, I felt more pressure there. Once that was over, I felt absolutely no discomfort whatsoever it was easy breezy and i as you can see <laughs> am very squeamish when it comes to that sort of thing well, i'm so, sorry for doing that to you I should, uh, no should, should have it's okay you, yeah. I, was, I didn't know that i was gonna have to i, I couldn't watch it I, I just can't i can't watch dr pimple popper either and i know that's my <laughs> business but i just can't um no i thought it was just it was so 
there was no discomfort, even afterwards. Probably the strangest thing for me afterwards, you had mentioned um, not being able to close your eyes. That was a fear of mine. And it, or at first, for the, probably the first day or so, I wasn't able to close my eyes all the way. I did get a, that was probably the worst part for me. Uh, but that went away very quickly. So let me just comment on that. So that is, that's a fear for everybody. And we talked about why we don't measure and mark the brow skin. <clears throat> Um, that's called, <clears throat> excuse me, that's called lag ophthalmos, and it's, there's a little bit of, there might be a millimeter or two of the eye opening. Generally, that's from just some edema, some swelling in the tissue, and from, from the procedure itself. Clearly, they close now, but that is, uh, that is something that we want to be careful with. Janine, what about you? I thought it was so easy, and I was nervous, too, but just with all of you being there and the comfort and care you gave us, I remember like laying there and you know you had the music playing and I was whatever we wanted and it was very relaxing and um, the only part that I was like this is strange is when I could hear you cutting like and I thought oh I wish I had earplugs in right now but then the rest of it you and I were talking and there wasn't any discomfort at all like I it was I tell everyone it was like better than the dentist like it was very easy. Well, let's go to a video to see what you guys had to say at the at the time. Being the younger one in the group, I almost felt like I wasn't old enough to have it done because I knew that my eyelids were going to um, have a lot more sag and droop to them based on where they were at age 43. And when I had this opportunity, my first reaction was, am I old enough for this? As I looked in the mirror and saw that I could pull on my eyelids and they'd stay out. I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> when anybody goes in to have any type of a procedure, no matter how simple it is, you're going to be nervous. I'm a very nervous person to have things done. And I went in there, I immediately felt at ease. His staff was inviting. They came out to greet me. I went into the procedure room. I was given a nice, warm, fluffy robe. We sat in these luxurious leather lounger chairs. If I could give him 10 stars, I would. I don't have one negative thing to report from the whole experience. That I was so intimidated to go into that operating room and be awake when they did what they did. I would do it again tomorrow. So Robin, here are some uh, before and after uh, photos from, um, from at the time that you had your, your procedure done. And again, your brows, like most of ours, are a little bit totic, a little bit drooping, but your eyes look brighter here. And Janine, you, had, uh, you also have some brow ptosis, and you had a little more of what we call dermatochalasis or some extra eyelid skin there. So your crease, your crease is uh, deepened even further there. And um, you know, they say that the eyes have it, but you can see that you know, the eyes just look brighter and more refreshed after, after these treatments. So uh, if, if I could also ask you, what were the barriers for you? What were some of the fears that you had uh, having the surgery uh, performed? For me, it was to look not like look like myself. Um, I, you know, the business that I'm in, people ask me every day my opinion on things, and I see people up close, and I've seen some really bad work. Um, so that was one fear. And then you can see I'm very squeamish. <laughs> I was afraid. I, I'm, I'm, I don't have a high tolerance of pain, as Sherry and Angie do. I do not. Um, it also really helped me to be with a group of my friends that I trust. Um, I wouldn't go first. I made you know somebody else go first, and I did want to go last, and that helped me as well. But everything was just so comfortable. Um, but I was just more than anything. I think the fear was I just wasn't going to look like myself, and that I would look like 
just a deer in headlights or something like that for this particular procedure. But I have seen, I've had, I've seen some bad work. Well, I think for myself, like why I was holding off on it was one, I thought I had to be older. And at the time I was 43 when we had it done and I thought it needed to be worse before I took care of it. And I knew it was something I was going to have to do because it was a hereditary situation um, or would have liked to do, like to have done. Um, but it was when I saw my before pictures and when I pulled on my skin <laughs> at a time, I was like, oh my gosh, like I can do this now. And then when you telling me, you know, how long it lasts and that I probably would never have to have it done again, you know, um, that I was like, well, then why are we waiting? So you were ready to go. Has your mother ever had this procedure? No, she hasn't. She, before she had passed, went to um, ha look to have it done. And it's funny because generation, her generation, I think she thought it was something that was too excessive or too, mm -hmm. you know, but she would have loved it. Yeah, she would have loved it. What about that, too? <laughs> Well, thank you both for uh, coming in. I've enjoyed talking with you. Uh, if you'd stay tuned with us for a few minutes, uh, we're going to hear from Julie Whitney, who's going to talk a little bit about what's uh, newsworthy in plastic surgery. Thank you so much. Thanks thank for you. having us. Can a $10 jar of peanut butter be the key to younger looking skin? And are men considered more trustworthy after having plastic surgery? In what's in and what's out and what's hot and what's definitely not in the world of plastic surgery. I'm your guide, Julie Whitney. Get ready as we tour the world and search the headlines to help you become a younger you. Cincinnati's own Procter & Gamble is in the headlines for introducing a new artificial brand ambassador named Yumi to provide beauty advice to consumers. P&G calls Yumi the world's first autonomously animated digital influencer. Yumi works sort of like Amazon's Alexa or Apple's Siri on an iPhone, but her voice is paired with a digital image of an attractive face. Consumers can turn to her for skincare questions at any hour of the day or night. As a hometown Cincinnati girl, I support P&G and use many of their products, but getting skincare and beauty advice from a virtual person is something I'm a bit skeptical about. I prefer to get my skincare advice from a real live person with a medical degree and hands-on skills like the team at Studio A in Dr. John Mendelson's office. I've come to count on them and trust them for all of my skincare concerns, and there's a lot. From which products to use to whether I need Botox or fillers, and what kind of treatment will best resolve my various skincare issues. Now can Yumi tell me that? And although I'm not sure Yumi is all that trustworthy, a recent study at Georgetown University published in JAMA Facial Plastic Surgery concludes that men who have plastic surgery on their faces appear more attractive, likable, trustworthy, and are perceived as having better social skills. When breaking it down by procedure, upper eyelid surgery was linked with increased likability and trustworthiness. Lower eyelid surgery made men appear less likely to take risks, while brow lifts made the patient seem more extroverted and inclined towards risks. A facelift made them appear more likable and trustworthy, and a neck lift made them perceived as more extroverted and masculine. The nose improved their attractiveness. Chin augmentation was the only procedure which didn't result in any statistically significant change in trade perception. Hmm, I know a few politicians that may want to think about having some plastic surgery done. And in China, men are wearing makeup for self-improvement. Yep, male makeup has gone mainstream. 
and today one in five Chinese men born after 1995, the so-called post-95 generation, use BB cream and lipstick on a regular basis. Male makeup, just like reading and fitness classes, has become a practical tool to advance socially. Contrary to the Western society, who still may feel a bit uneasy by something considered unmasculine, many Chinese men genuinely believe that makeup can lead to their more attractive selves, making them deserve more opportunities in life and helping them feel more empowered. And a new peanut butter infused with collagen is now on the shelves. Made by Wild Friends, the beauty butter sells for $10 a jar and is available in both vanilla and chocolate and can also be used to make delicious smoothies. So can it really plump and hydrate your skin? The jury's out on that one, but at $10 per jar, I would use it sparingly. And finally, a new chocolate invented by a former Cambridge University researcher called Essachoc has been proven to boost blood supply, reduce inflammation, and lead to healthier, clearer skin in clinical trials. I always thought that chocolate caused acne. Guess I'm wrong. Hey, I have an idea. How about combining the new collagen-infused peanut butter with this new youth-producing chocolate and just eating a Reese's peanut butter cup? Wouldn't this be doubly beneficial to your skin? Mm. That's it for today's news in plastic surgery. You can see more of my plastic surgery journey and also follow your beauty by going to 351face.com. Why not sign up for a younger you today? We are back, but before we go, we'd also like to hear from Karen Whitney and see what's going on with the latest Studio A rewards. Hello, I'm Karen Whitney. I'm excited to give you a sneak peek of Studio A, brought to you by Advanced Cosmetic Surgery and Laser Center. The Studio A staff have performed thousands of injectable procedures, such as Botox and fillers. And as a national leader in injectables, I know how important it is to provide you with the best care so you can look your best. You're probably aware and may have already used Botox as over 1.5 billion injections were performed just last year. To learn more about Botox and other treatments, just go to 351face.com or call us at 351-3223. That's it for today. Thank you for tuning in to Follow Your Beauty. Please feel free to view this episode and other episodes at 351face.com forward slash follow your beauty. You will also learn about some of the Studio A reward savings. And if you like, you can simply sign up and log in to schedule your own personal consultation where we can devise a treatment plan to help you look and feel your best. We hope you tune in next time for another episode of Follow Your Beauty, live from Studio A at the Advanced Cosmetic Surgery and Laser Center.